joined by Parker Thompson Friday afternoon. How did last practice go? Uh, last practice was pretty much strictly uh, driver change and make sure that our car's ready for the race. So went pretty standard, but all the practices, not only in the roar, but, uh, but leading up to the, the race week have been really good. Getting used to the Lexus RCF, having the engine in the front, and uh, enjoying my time. It's a big step up from a, a Porsche Cup car the last couple of years. How different is it compared to what you're you know, getting used to? Yeah, I mean, speed-wise, not a whole lot different. The GT3 Cup car, is uh, it still goes pretty fast. It's probably only three or four seconds off a GTD car. But I think just functionality-wise, the cars in GTD are so much different. Um, not only are they faster than the high speed, obviously their uh, aero kits are a little more extensive. But when you just talk about the strategy behind a 24-hour race, that's where the difference comes. Um, everybody knew that I can go fast for a 45-minute race, but yeah. the test will be uh, on Saturday and Sunday if I can keep the car in good, clean condition for my uh, multiple stints at a couple hours of crack. What's it like doing driver changes for something you're probably not as used to, let's say? I'm still getting used to it. Um, very different. Normally, in a normal sprint race, you get in, you get comfortable, you'll usually have a mechanic buckle you in, You've got all the time in the world for 10 minutes before your race starts to get comfortable, and now it's basically you've got 15 seconds to get in the car and get as comfortable as quick as you can. Um, and funny enough, even though the driver height isn't super different on the 12 car between Tlitz, uh, Frankie, myself, and Kirkwood, um, for whatever reason, they just have longer legs than I do. <laughs> so I need the booster pad in the seat, Aww. which adds another another bit of complication yeah. to a driver change when I get in and get out, but... Um, They've taken me through it really well, and it looks like we're in pretty good shape headed into the race. All right, so you you know, last time you and I talked was probably Road to Indy, which was a couple of years ago at this point. How has your career kind of gone from okay, you know, I'm in what was it at the time, Indy Pro 2000 to you know Porsche Cup? You know, what's that the last couple of years looked like overall? Yeah, well, it's uh, there's. Drivers are like snowflakes when it comes to their career. There's kind of no two careers that are the same, and I could definitely say the same about mine. Um, so obviously found some success with moving to sports cars. Uh, not only did we win the Canadian Touring Car Championship back in 2019 when I was managing a yeah. formula car and a sports car career, um, but then 2020 with COVID, um, I had the opportunity to go back to open wheel solely um, to run an Indy Pro 2000 for the third year. Didn't go as we hoped. I mean... Budget you had a is lot everything. Of bad luck that year. Yeah, and budget's everything in open wheel. And unfortunately, um, you know, for drivers to make a professional career, it's pretty hard to work your way up the ladder. Where sports cars adds a whole different area to yeah. it. I mean, it's kind of cool because you've got a lot of gentlemen drivers, and you look at Carrera Cup. You know, that's what makes Carrera Cup so great. I had two coaching clients that I raced against because there's three classes that race on the same weekend at the same time. So it generates a way for drivers to make money and, and support themselves while they're coming up the ladder. And if you happen to win Career Cup, it puts you on the map for the big teams. But then uh, I'm sure you guys know about the off-season stuff that I had to go through, which was uh, a lot of turmoil. Yeah. But we came out on the other side of it. I got the deal done with, with Lexus and with Vassar Sullivan, which I couldn't be prouder to, uh, to be a part of the team. So for those maybe who don't, you know, know about the Porsche Cup. What's the schedule like? You know, what's the season like? And uh, you know, compared to you know an IMSA series or an, you know an open wheel series that most of our fans probably know about. Yeah, um, I mean, it's basically like the road to Indy, except it's the road to yeah. WeatherTech, is what I used That's to call exactly it. Exactly what he said yesterday. Yeah, it's the road to WeatherTech. So you look at how uh, 
it's structured. It's two races a weekend. Yeah. Generally, uh, one qualifying, and your first two fastest laps set the grid for the two races. Um, and we've got an eight-race calendar that follows IMSA. So the nice part about it is you get to know a lot of the tracks that IMSA goes to. Um, the big difference between the road to Indy and the road to WeatherTech is the IndyCar tracks a lot of sports car don't go to. You know, I missed right, out on right. Road Atlanta, VIR. There's a bunch of tracks that are quite hard to learn. Road Atlanta yeah. is not something yeah. that I would want to just show up and learn. Um, so it was good to get time at those certain tracks. And incredibly competitive. I mean, I have to say last year's Carrera Cup uh, driver lineup was probably more stout than any year on the road to Indy that I've been okay. up against. I mean, with Van Burlo, Estep, Dickinson, um, yeah. and then a bunch of highlighter guys. I mean, obviously Jeff Gordon showed up at Indy. There was a bunch of guys. That's pretty that, cool. That was pretty neat. So can you talk about your experience just dealing with traffic? Obviously, I mean, growing up or coming up in your career, right, you're making the effort to pass somebody, but now you're kind of having to let people by. I mean, it's only been practice so far, but what, what's that like? It's definitely an art form. I mean, managing traffic is not really how fast you can pass the slow P3s or the slow GTDs, but it's really how efficient you can let the GP, uh, the GTP cars and the LMP2 cars go by. Luckily, well, I shouldn't say luckily, but for the last three years, I've actually spotted the Daytona 24-hour yeah, yeah. in its entirety. Um, so I wasn't really spooked when cars were flying by me with a 40-mile-an-hour difference yeah. just because I was pretty used to uh, spotting. Um, funny enough, I actually think I was more nervous spotting cars in the 24-hour than I was okay. driving. Now, we haven't seen... Uh, we haven't seen race form yet. Obviously, that's going to be another level of amped up. Yeah. Um, so, talk to me after the race, and I'll let you know how that goes. But so far, it's been peachy. All right. So now I have to ask, what makes spotting nerve-wracking, yeah, especially for a 24-hour race? You have somebody's life in your hands. <laughs> yeah, uh, we yeah. probably trust spotters way too much. Um, <laughs> but you have to, right? Because... Good spotters aren't the guys that tell you 10 back, 5 back on your right side. Yeah, a driver yeah. knows that. Good spotters tell you that there's five GP, GTP cars on the lead lap, and they're going to get to you by the canker by turn sure, five. Sure. And then you're already, as a driver, coming up with plans as to how that's going to go. So you're going to run narrow in turn five to let them go around the outside. You might think twice about merging over to the right to get back for six, and then you're also going to be on your heels going up to the banking. So bouncing off that, what kind of spotter would you say you are? Are you somebody that's doing a lot of talking, or is it kind of you adapt to the driver? You adapt to the driver. I do feel like, though, I was probably too good of a spotter, which is why <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I stopped spotting, because I didn't want to become a professional spotter. Yeah. Those guys, they get paid pretty well up yeah. there, and the good ones have they, a good career. Like, they definitely make their career. They go around. You know, I know some that you know do IndyCar trucks, NASCAR trucks. You know, they're doing IMSA this weekend, and... They're doing Porsche Cup and, you know, who knows what else. I see them all over the place. Yeah, it got to the point last year where I had too many teams asking of what I was doing for <laughs> spotting. Uh, so I focus on the driving part because that's obviously what I want teams asking me for. So what's the, you know, mental preparation for a 24-hour race, especially, you know, maybe even like leading up to the roar, not necessarily this weekend, but, you know, how difficult is it to handle such a grueling event at the start of the year? Well, I'm the the IMSA Michelin Endurance Cup driver, yeah. so I have a totally different role to the two full-time guys in the car, which is my role is basically I can do a lot of things to lose them this race, and I can do very few things that are actually going to yeah. win them the race, besides keep the car clean. Um, 
So I'm honestly treating this as a giant test session. I mean, I've not okay. really got more than 20 laps in the car at one any given time. Um, so that first stint, which is going to probably be about 30 to 33 laps, is going to be a very big eye-opener for me. Yeah. Most of our stint schedule is me doing double stints, which will be okay. awesome because I'm yeah. in the car for two hours, um, which basically means I'm going to go out and test for the first 18 hours, and if they throw me in at the end and tell me to go fast, I'll do it. So when you're when you're double stinting, you know, normal stints, what, 30, 30 laps, you say? Yep. So 60 laps. Does it, does it get... Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the checkered flag. Exhausting mentally when you're just doing the same thing for six laps, or is it because there's traffic from different series always around that you're always able to focus for you know a couple hours at a time? Yeah, I, I'm honestly so excited out there just to be in <laughs> yeah. WeatherTech that I yeah. probably find it a lot more interesting than the sure, other guys. Sure. Uh, so I don't think that I will get bored during yeah. my two-hour stint. Uh, maybe Tealitz or or Montecalvo will uh, will say otherwise. Um, I think the biggest thing though is just to not get caught up in a race during the 24-hour race, right, right? right? And that's so hard. I mean, I've been trained to kill now for the last, especially in Career Cup, two years. Yeah. I mean, cold tires. The race is basically won in the first five laps of the race, and you can definitely get your elbows out and move some people around, where this, you know, especially with our car, everybody knows it's very fast, but at the same time, we've got to treat it with respect. It's not the car that's going to last if we if we keep elbowing people out there. So I think that's the biggest mental switch for me, is making sure that I give a good car for, uh, for T-Litz. Related to that mental side, what about... I mean, this is kind of silly, but, you know, what about your kind of in-between stints? What are you doing there in terms of, like, snacks, hydration, like, relaxation? What kind of thing do you listen to music? Or, you know, how, what are you doing? Well, it's TBD, I guess. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I tried to do, uh, I tried to train or simulate 12-hour yeah. uh, training days, um, but I really struggled to sleep 
once I get adrenaline pumping. Yeah. So that's going to be my biggest objective is to sleep because I'm probably going to be useless at hour 18 if I don't sleep. Um, so let's check that off the box. Luckily, we've got a really nice bus shared by the 12 car, so that should at least uh, help out a little bit as long as the 14 doesn't pull pranks on us throughout the uh, <laughs> throughout the race. Um, and yeah, let's let's try and sleep. Probably won't be a lot of music. It'll probably be me getting out of the car, hopefully grabbing a bite to eat, taking it in a little bit too. It's my sure. first 24-hour yeah. race, so uh, obviously you got to go see the fireworks at midnight. Hopefully, I'm up for that. And uh, you hopefully, guys have to see that. yeah, of hopefully by the end of it, we're in it for the win. So you know, you have all your teammates have experience in this race. Have you been able to kind of lean on them and learn from them over the last, you know, two weeks or so, or even into the off season beforehand? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've known pretty much everybody at uh, Vassar Sullivan yeah. now for the last two years. Yeah. We've been in touch and know Hawksworth really well, which is a lead on the 14. Know Tealess really well from a friendship built on the Rotindi. Yeah. Um, so they've been awesome. I mean, everybody here's that's the biggest switch, right? In Carrera Cup yeah. or any other sprint, your teammate's your biggest uh, rival. But here, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm sure there's still a inter-team rivalry. <laughs> sure, but at sure. the end of the day, if I'm doing a good job and, and going fast, that's going to help them because they're getting the car further up the grid. So I guess just thinking about Lexus in general in the GT3 category, do you think that there's going to be a big gap with it like the GTD Pro and the GTD kind of regular GTD cars or do you think it's just going to come down to I mean maybe you guys are flipped like GTD Pro is behind the GTD car can you what could you see happening any of those scenarios it's really going to come down to strategy I think um, obviously IMSA I believe it was last year switched over from GTLM to yeah, yeah. GTD Pro and GTD um, so the cars are theoretically they are the same. Yeah. Um, I actually drove the 14 for the first time at my test. That was my first okay. introduction yeah. to Vassar Sullivan is they only brought the one car. So I drove the 14. Um, so the cars are the same. There's no difference in real performance. It's going to come down to the driver lineup. Obviously, there's there's more higher rated FIA drivers in the GTD Pro car. So I hope for them that the GTD car, the 12, isn't ahead of them. But <laughs> if it is, good for us. Yeah, yeah. For but you, I, you hope that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So but um, I think they've got a pretty strong lineup. And obviously, everybody the last little bit, you know, in testing, we saw a lot of the GTD cars ahead of the factory yeah, GTD yeah. Pro cars. Right. So it's going to be interesting. I don't think anybody will know until our 22 what everybody's truly got. So you're doing the four endurance races this year, four yes, or five or however many there are. What else are you going to occupy your 20, 20, what year is it, 2023? Yeah. I don't know what year it is I yet. It That's fine. Too. Yeah, still it's in early. January. I'm very tired, too. You're good. You're tired um, already. We don't quite know yet. Um, I'm sure I'll be driving something else. It probably won't be anything else in IMSA. Yeah. Just with the, the contract here, I'm a, I'm a Lexus man okay. uh, for all the stuff that I do with... Uh, with IMSA, but there's some other opportunities maybe uh, across the pond and maybe in North America that we'll, uh, we'll kind of scope out and see. The main focus here is make sure I hit it out of the park for the four endurance races and, and go from there. So this being kind of the main effort of TRD, I would say, like in North American racing, I guess, besides NASCAR. Yeah. Uh, does that kind of put your foot in the door a little bit with just like Toyota, Lexus in general, joining this team and everything they do? No, for sure. Um, that was... Without TRD's approval, I would not be in the 12 car. So they're a pretty big part to what we do. Obviously, they're uh, 
you know, TRD, Toyota Racing Development. Yeah. Lexus is a, a Toyota brand. Um, so they're huge. And we've got that new car coming out. We don't know exactly when it's coming out, but that's a big focus for this team, which I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited about. So I think this is probably the best team to be on in GT3 right now. I mean, a lot of other manufacturers are focusing on their GTP efforts or on their prototype efforts, but Lexus has stayed committed to the GT3. And uh, my handshake with Sully and with Vassar was basically they want to win a championship. If it's not this year, it's in the years to come. That is their main mission. So that's the team I want to be on. My last question, I know you're doing the endurance races. Are you hopeful maybe next year to you know, do a full IMSA calendar or more than just the endurance races? Definitely. I mean, that's uh, at the end of the day, that's the goal is to be in, in WeatherTech full-time. And I think that's really where you, uh, where you can showcase your skills. Yeah. Obviously, here when you're the third driver, you've got a bigger responsibility than just going fast and, and showing your pace. Um, so... We'll see what's to come. Hopefully uh, there's an opportunity next year, but if I do my job, I don't see see why not. Well, good luck, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, we have one more. Yeah. <laughs> um, since this is one of your first times doing a race like this, an endurance race like this, how do you see this affecting not only your racing for this year or next year, but just the overall trajectory of your career? If, if this is something that you end up really liking and end up really being skillful at, or maybe something that you decide is not for you, how do you see that just affect your future? No, that's a great question. And and honestly, I can tell anybody coming up, the hardest thing to do is get a ride in WeatherTech, especially for the Daytona 24-hour race, because nobody wants to take anybody without any experience. Yeah. You know, nobody wants to be your first time. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's how it goes. So I think just checking it off the box and saying, hey, I've done a live pit stop, I've managed tires, I've saved fuel, and I didn't do anything silly during my stints during the 24-hour race will already put me above where I was. Um, you know, you win Carrera Cup, everybody knows that you're pretty much on par with anybody in WeatherTech if you yeah. can win Carrera Cup. Um, but the big question mark is can you contain yourself and not do anything silly? So 100%. Once we check that off the box, I think there will be a lot more uh, teams that can nod and say, okay, he's good. He's in the club now. Thank you, sir. Best of luck, man. Thank you very much, guys. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.